Our sermon text this morning is from John chapter 18, verses 12 to 27. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me and what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. John chapter 18, if you haven't turned there yet, go ahead and turn to John chapter 18. And just, just so you guys know, there's full rows, wide open, up in the front. If you're, if you're brave enough to come forward next week, by all means, have at it. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, through your Spirit, you have written that as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. This is the turning point in, in Job and in his heart. God, that he knows that his, Redeemer's last, his Redeemer lives. And at last he will take his stand on the earth. And even if our skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh, God, we will see you. As we are entering into these last hours in the life of Christ, God, let us know that our Redeemer lives. He will redeem us. He will purify us. He will not leave us in our old sin. But God, your Son, as the high priest, will 
wash all of his sheep. Not one of them will be left behind God, but he will wash all of them, and they will all be made pure, clothed in his own righteousness, God. Give us that hope through your word. May we see the glory of your Son in this. Amen. So the boys were all packed up, ready to go. Just a quick 10-year siege on the city of Troy, and then they'd be back. Trojan horse, burn the thing down, tear it all apart, and leave it. Leave it in ruins and then just leave. Like, that, that's all you came for, is just to tear down the city. So they're all packed up. King Agamemnon, one of the, uh, in Greece at that time, you have the city-states, and King Agamemnon had gathered them all together, and they're waiting, and they're ready to go. Their men are loaded up in the ships, except they need one thing. Wind. They had no wind. They need this wind to blow them from the west to the east towards Troy, and it wasn't happening. Ah, and then the words and the rumors of mutiny begin to spread amongst the men. So King Agamemnon goes to one of the pagan prophets and says, I need wind. Ah, it'll cost you. What will it cost me? Blood, of course. Whose? Whose blood? Your daughter. So King Agamemnon sends for his daughter under the pretense that she will be betrothed to Achilles, who is there. Not a bad gig if you can get it. And so she comes. She is the faithful daughter. And she comes. And then the betrayal happens. Then the deception happens. She must be slain on the altar of Artemis, is what the false prophet said. So as they write, soon Iphigenia was led out to sacrifice, and the knife of her slayer rose and fell. Why is it? Why is it that in this world it always seems like betrayal and unfaithfulness always triumphs over those who are faithful. Why is it always the faithful daughter that is slain? Isn't there somewhere where faithfulness will triumph over those who deny and those who betray? Absolutely. But you have to look in the Gospels. You have to look in the Word of God to see it. And that's exactly what we're going to see here. The world's going to tell you one thing, that you will advance yourself by betraying, that you will advance yourself by denying whatever you need to deny. But John is presenting something different. John is going to show us that Christ, as the high priest... He will triumph even over those who deny him. So Christ as, a, as the high priest is what you should take home. Christ as the high priest will purify all of his sheep. All of them. None of them will turn away and not be brought back if they are among his sheep. 
So remember the main idea of John, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, Christ the Messiah, the one who's going to redeem. So we have this broad category that John is presenting to us. We've seen this picture of him as the, the king. We've seen the picture of him as the sacrifice. We've seen the picture of John has presented him as the prophet who brings forth the word of God. We've seen all of those interactions. Now John, how he's going to present Christ, is as the high priest. And you see this, this interchange that's going on back and forth, back and forth. Isn't this about Peter and his denial? Right? Look at, look at here. Verses 12 to 14, you have this, this, it's about Christ, and then the next chunk is about Peter. And then it's about Christ, and then it's about Peter again. So as, as, as we read the Word of God, how are we supposed to interpret this? Is this about Peter and his denial? No. Just as in chapter 1, you have this interplay between Christ and John the Baptist. Christ and John the Baptist. And you see that John is using John the Baptist as a means to show that Jesus Christ is the one to whom he is witnessing. He is the new Elijah, but he is pointing towards Christ. In the same way, I will say to you that John is using Peter as a means by which to point to Christ. So he's showing Christ as the high priest. But is he that high? What happens in the midst of our deepest sins? What if I stand here and, and deny Christ as Peter has done? Is Christ the high priest? Is he great enough to overcome even these sins? Absolutely. And that is what John is presenting to us here in, this, in these verses. So how are you going to see this? Well, Christ, you're going to see him as the great high priest. He is bound then in verses 12 through 14. And sadly, in verses 15 through 18, we see that he is denied. Peter denies Christ. Then you have this interrogation of the high priest. Kind of the battle of the... Of the of the high priest going on here, the earthly high priest and the eternal high priest going back and forth, back and forth. And then it goes back to Peter. And you again, you see him denying Christ, not just once, but now two times. Oh, oh but I, I sinned so greatly as Christ. Is he the high priest good enough to overcome even this? Yes. Yes, yes, he is. Let's get into the text here. Verse 12. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Well, you think, oh, why are they binding him? He was about that. Well, yeah, he was. But remember, Peter just tried killing someone. So you can't fault them for binding up Jesus. First, they led him to Annas. For he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised, that the, advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. That was in John 11. 
As we weave all of the Gospels, not one of the Gospels has all of the events, but as you weave together the four Gospels, you kind of see a little bit of a clearer picture of what's happening here. Jesus leaves to the Garden of Gethsemane. He goes to Annas. We'll talk about him a little bit. He goes from Annas to Caiaphas. And then you have this sunrise trial before the, before the Sanhedrin, kind of the ruling elite of the, of the, of the Jewish people. So you have these religious trials from Annas to Caiaphas and then to the Sadducees. And then you have the governmental trials. He's sent to Pilate, who then sends him to Herod. Herod sends him back to Pilate. And then Pilate pronounces the judgment. And then he is crucified. So during these final hours, we're in this we're just starting this movement of trials that are going to be happening here. So they bring him to Annas, who is the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was a high priest. So they bring him to Annas first. He's, he's kind of the man behind the curtain that's pulling all of the strings and all of the power. Annas was high priest for five to six years, a really long time. I think he's actually one of the most well-known figures um, that modern Jews know about a, a Jewish man around that time. Um, he had five of his sons became high priest as well. You see that one of his son-in-laws, Caiaphas, also became high priest. And his sons, they were so wicked. To kind of let you see what was happening here, his sons were so wicked. Uh, in some of the Jewish writings, they say that their words were used as curse, their names were used as curse words amongst the people. So here is Annas, a man who is completely spiritually deplorable, holding and pulling the strings behind this religious office. So they bring him to him. And you see how John is framing. So how do we read our Bibles? We see in gospel narrative, they won't just say, now let me tell you about Jesus, the high priest. But they drop it in again and again. So what are they doing? So John is subtly dropping in all of these references to the high priest. High priest, the Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, go to the courtyard of the high priest, who was known to the high priest. The high priest then questioned Jesus, and Jesus answered them. I will... Is that now how you answer the high priest, the soldier said, and Caiaphas, again the high priest, and then you have the servants of the high priest. John is introducing this idea and the concept of the high priest again and again and again to frame you to see this through that lens. So the high priest, let's step back and just see what's happening here. So the high priest is needed because sin has entered the world. And we know that man cannot come into the presence of God when he has sin upon him. Holy God, consuming fire, how are we going to come into his presence? Enter the priesthood. Developed, it comes out of Aaron and Moses and follows of the, the Levitical tribe. And these priests, it was the job of whoever was bringing the animal for a sacrifice to kill the animal. But then the priest whatever is going to be offered up to God, they would take that. And then they would come and present it onto the altar, either the blood or whatever was going to be burned. 
They were the mediator between the sinful man and then the holy God. And then on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the high priest, but once a year, would purify himself. He would make a sacrifice for his own sins. And then he would make a sacrifice for the sins of the nation. And then he would come, not just to the altar, but no, then he would come up into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God is dwelling in the temple, in the tabernacle. And he would come in and then scatter the blood across the mercy seat. You can see the picture. The priest's job is to then offer this sacrifice and the smoke would rise up and it's this pleasing aroma to God in heaven. But the nature of the, of the office, it was insufficient. It was lacking. If the priest and the sacrifice were perfect, why did you need sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice? It's pointing to something else. But what about this high priest? Why do I need, again, a priest after priest after priest? If he was sufficient, wouldn't one be enough? You see, the high priests are then pointing to someone who is going to come, who is obviously Christ. And John has gone out of his way. Remember, he's, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So he has all of these. He's presented him as king and prophet, as the sacrifice. But he's also gone out of his way to show Christ as the high priest. In John chapter 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and tabernacled. Right? Already, right in this first chapter, you have Christ as being presented in that light. He's the ladder in Jacob's dream upon which the angels ascend and descend. He is the means by which we come into the presence of God, right? Same thing as the priest and the tabernacle and the temple. He is the one who has purified the temple he cleanses the temple in chapter 2, as the high priest would do. As the high priest was to be pure of sin, to come into the presence of God. So you see in John chapter 8, Christ himself is saying that he is without sin. But then right in these moments, as Adam was preaching on, you have this high priestly prayer. Where Christ, as the high priest, is praying for his people. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given to me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. Then in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me that where I am, so that they... They see my glory. It is Christ who will bring you, it is Christ who will bring all of his sheep into the presence of God. All of that is transpiring. Now let's look at Peter. Verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. So Peter stood outside the door 
So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl, who kept watch at the door, and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warning themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Our dear friend Peter has now entered the scene once again. Last time we had seen him, he had a moment of rage, tried to kill somebody, cut off their ear, and then fled into the night. And it seems as though Peter is now the first one who is caught back up to Christ. All of the other disciples remain scattered. Peter's there, and then John, it seems as though he comes shortly after. It's clear that John, just in his humility, in his way of writing, that he is the other disciple mentioned in verse 15. And John is, he's known to the high priest, and so he's able to enter in with Christ. And then he looks back and he sees Peter on the outside of the gate. He goes, all right, I'll go, I'll go get him. He goes to the day, talks to the servant, goes, goes, yes, I know the high priest. Peter, come on in. And have you ever been in a circle where you realize the circle is a little too small and he probably ought not uh, be there? Rachel would give me speeches. Uh, my background, I come from construction farmers and missionaries. Her background are... Successful, incredibly successful entrepreneurs, uh, big shot lawyers in the Bay Area, San Francisco, and professors. A little bit different on the, the social ladder. So she would bring me into this circle, which was really small, and I would get the pep talk. Like, okay, fork in the left, knife in, or, uh, yeah, fork in the left, knife in the right, small bites, chew your food, talk to the people on the right and left before you talk to anyone across the table so they don't think you're not interested. When this person walks into the room, you don't have to do it to anyone else, but when this person walks in the room, stand up, say hello, shake them, look them in the eye. I get all of this speech and every time, complete failure. Just a complete, complete failure every time. You know, John's giving Peter this same speech. All right, Peter, I'll let you in. Just don't blow it. Here, here's a fire. Just stand, stand by this fire. You, everything will go well. Just don't blow it. Peter's content to be there. He wants to come in, but then John desperately wants to go back to be by Christ. And Peter's there, and things done, don't go well for him. It's a nice fire, and he's there. This charcoal fire, and the, the red flames are bouncing off this charcoal fire, and it illuminates his face. And then the servant girl says to him, aren't you, aren't you one of also, well, I know that John's one of the disciples of, of Christ, but aren't you also one of him? Are, are, was that you? And then right there, Peter, just right by the fire. I am not. 
And you can hear it ringing. You see the dichotomy. Just previously, Jesus has said, I am, I am, I am. And now you're going to see Peter in the next scene saying, I am not, I am not, I am not with this man. I don't know him. I don't even know what you're talking about. But it's not just Peter. How easy is it to do it? You're at work. It's just, with, it's just a coworker. And then you don't say anything. You deny him, maybe even by your silence. You deny knowing Christ. You know that God has opened up the door for you to share the gospel. You peer in and then you walk by. Then the next day you pray and plead with God that he would open doors for you to share the gospel. Right? It can come at any time. And to be honest, it's easier in situations like this. It's easier to stand up in the pulpit and just rattle off things. Muhammad, Buddha, Vishnu, they'll all lead you to hell. It's easier to say that in the pulpit. But when the servant girl, when your coworker comes alongside you, it gets a little bit harder. It can come at any time. Let's keep moving through our text here. In verse 19, let's pick it up here. The high priest then questioned Jesus. Peter's been questioned. How did he respond? Not that well. What, what about Jesus? How will he do when he's questioned? The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have also taught in the synagogues and in the temples where all of the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me and what I said to them. They will know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand. Is that how you answer the high priest? So quick to defend him when Peter was so quick to deny his master. Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if I am right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. You see, again here, we mentioned it earlier, but this battle of the priesthood that's going on. The earthly priesthood and the eternal priesthood. One of them is doing the will of the Father. The other is killing the Son of God. One of them is praying and one of them is persecuting. The other one is being bound and beaten. The other, the earthly high priest, thirsts for the spilled blood. And you notice, okay, in verse 19, they question him about his disciples and his teaching. Kind of the two different realms going on here. If you want to find a man guilty in this scenario, you want to run him against Pilate. So you want to ask him about his disciples. Who are they? How many? How radical are they? What are they capable of? Can we get you on that? And then they ask him also about his teachings. Are you trying to undo the Mosaic law? 
That's why they're questioning him on those two different things. And Christ responds brilliantly and just shuts him down. He said, I've done everything in the open. So if my disciples, if I'm trying to raise them up to be radicals to overthrow the government, like you guys want to do, why would I do it in the open? I would do that in secret, but you've seen me. And then also, if I've been teaching them to break or undo the Mosaic law, well, you've heard me. I've been in the synagogues. I've been in the temple teaching there. Why didn't you see anything there? He shuts them down. And then he is struck. Let's keep moving. Peter keeps digging his hole more and more. Verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again, Peter again denied it. And at once the rooster crowed. Oh, I do, friend Peter. You can see the walls kind of coming in on him, right? First it's the servant girl by the fire. And then it's not just her, but it's they, the whole group. But then to really ratchet things up, it's the relative of the guy he just tried, the poor guy he just tried to kill in the garden. You see how it's, the, it's ratcheting up, and Peter again, even more vehemently, is denying it and denying it and denying it. And, and just so you know, this courtyard is not, it's not that big. Sam, do you want to stand up? Just, just for a second, just so people can see. When this is happening... The courtyard's about this big. So when Peter is over here warming himself and saying, I am not, I am not, you know Christ can hear it. You think so? So with the eyes of Christ even upon him, in his depth of his sin, can Christ, the high priest, Purge all of those sins. And to be honest, let's give Peter some credit. At least he's close enough to Christ to be asked. When's the last time, to be, just honestly, take inventory, when's the last time you were asked, are you one of those Christians? At least Peter's walking close enough to Christ. The other disciples are not being asked this. John, it's obviously clear, and he's okay with it. But Peter's close enough, at least close enough to be asked. So we've seen these godless high priests, Annas and Caiaphas. And then we see Christ as this great high priest. And the role of the priest 
is to purify the people, to wash them clean, to purify them so that they may come into the presence of God. Can he do it in the midst of such sin and rebellion? Can he do it? And the answer is yes. That's our great hope. He said, yes, absolutely, he can do it. Peter is fully redeemed. Fully redeemed. Judas, he was left to himself, and he is the one who had no hope. But Peter was the first one to run up to the tomb. John gets there, beats him, stands there. Peter's the first one to go then into the tomb and see the linens that were once wrapped around the body of Christ no longer wrapped around anybody, anybody whatsoever. It is Peter who is told, I won't steal too much material from it, but it's Peter who is soon then told, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. It is Peter that then goes on to preach at Pentecost. And it is Peter who undoubtedly has these events in his mind when he is writing to the churches that have been dispersed throughout the Asia. And he's writing to them, always, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is within you. Peter's able to use his, his own sin, his previous sin, to encourage the, for the, the future church, knowing that he has been washed clean. Some of your guys' testimonies being brought from addiction, pornography, abortion in the past, and to have that redeemed out of you makes your testimony to Christ that much more encouraging for the other saints. It was Peter that once said, I am not, I am not with this man. Who would soon, within 30 years, be saying, I am not, I am not worthy to die in the same manner as my Messiah. And he was crucified, but he was crucified upside down. Christ, as a high priest, can purify us from all sin. Briefly, what do we do? this is true, how does it change our lives and our hearts? Number one, be encouraged. Be encouraged, not by your work, but by the work of Christ. Your sins are not so vile that Christ cannot clean them. There's no stain so worn into the fabric of your heart that his blood cannot wash it clean. And that's the great lie. When you're in Christ, Satan will tempt you again and again and again. So your heart is weary and your home's, your home's a disaster. And perhaps you're actually brought to the point of despising, although you would never tell anyone, despising the children that God has given you. Slightly. Or you're single. 
and you have this hole of loneliness within your heart. And even in a place like this, where, where that's flowing with love, you struggle to find your place, and then Satan tempts you. This hole in your heart, shovelful by shovelful, he fills it up with these lies that, well, you're just not worthy. You're not worthy. Of course, that's why you're single. Or if you're distant from your husband and wife, and quite frankly, it's more convenient that way. Let's just keep it that way. Can Christ the Messiah, as, as the high priest, can he come? Absolutely he can. So it's not just about Peter. This is about Christ. And we're using Peter to understand Christ as this beautiful high priest. But then in light of that, we are able to look at our own lives and see our own wretched, horrible sin. And know with great confidence and great joy that Christ as a high priest will purge all of that sin. That's number one. Number two. So number one, delight in Christ. Be encouraged by the work of Christ, a high priest. Number two, you must have Christ as your high priest. When we're in Christ, Satan will tell us, look how horrible your sin are. It will never be washed clean. When you're not in Christ, when you're on this side of salvation, Satan is telling you, well, it's not that bad. You're, you're pretty good. You need Christ as your high priest. How are you going to come into the presence of God apart from Him washing you clean? If you don't trust in Christ, beg of Him to change your heart. That you will not try to scrub your own sins clean. How are you with, with dirty hands? What are you going to, how are you going to clean your own heart with your dirty hands? You just layer sin upon more sin with your own pride, thinking you're able to do it. Turn to Christ. Turn to Christ and only to Christ that He, as the great high priest, will be able to wash you and wash you clean. Let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we... We have so many, so, so great are the riches that we have in your Son that you have given to us, that we might believe in you, God. Open our eyes, open our eyes to see the treasures that we have in your Son, God, and let us see the sin in our own hands, knowing, either knowing it will be washed clean by the great high priest or knowing that we are unable to clean our own dirty heart, calloused with sin. God, if we do not trust in your Son, work in us this very moment to trust in your Son and in Him alone. And all God's people said, Amen.